Hello, I'm Scott, the CEO of Comio, and you're listening to Agency of Change, the podcast that aims to showcase expertise, innovation, and best practice in residential real estate in Australia. I'm joined by my co-host, Head of Strategy here at Comio, Brock Fisher. Hello, everyone. On today's episode, we're having a chat with Pamela Styling, Head of Investment Management and Partner at Dye Jones Real Estate. Yeah, today you'll hear from Pam about how they do things at Dye Jones, in particular, their variable fee and service offering, how it works, and how they execute this service. Shall we jump on in? Let's do it. Now, I'd, I've always admired the business that you run there in terms of um, performance and innovation and the willingness to try new things. So I'd like to start, I think, by kind of dividing that into, into two separate sections, innovation and a, and a change management piece. So to begin with there, there's, I guess there's never any shortage of things you could be doing in your business. Um, and as an early adopter of things like, you know, offshore admin assistance and so forth, what's the process you go through to decide what to do? And I guess equal as importantly, what not to do? Yeah, so there's a few things that we look at. We um, first, first and most, most important is obviously the client experience. So um, any innovation that we're looking at must improve the client experience. But then um, in addition to that, it's also very important that it makes money for our business. And I know that might not be the, you know, the, <laughs> the, the best way of saying it, but it really is. It has to be, we have to present business cases to the CEO. Um, the business case has to have a contingency. It has to have, you know, exit points if we don't hit certain revenue markers. And um, in, with the, with the um, end result, always improving client experience. That's actually a couple of really good points there. Uh, I mean, firstly, there is a process and, and that's quite comforting, but I think the, the exit key point is uh, is a good one as well because, I mean, so often people can try things and they don't work or they don't work as well as they should have. So, you know, it's comforting to know that that's kind of built into that whole uh, initial evaluation process. And it, it sounds like it is quite rigid, but also, I mean, there's no shame in needing to, to increase revenue to do that. I mean, we know that... In property management, the the profit margins are generally quite wafer thin, so you know that's got to be a key part of any innovative strategy that you're actually getting some sort of financial benefit out of it. Um, so moving through to the, uh, I guess one of the great challenges that all businesses have, it's kind of rolling out and doing new things in your business and and what that means from a, I guess a, an operational perspective, but more importantly with your team and how you get them on board and how you kind of. Uh, monitor and manage that through a big change management exercise. So can you give us a bit of an outline of that and any particular key pointers that you think our listeners could benefit from? I mean, it's, it's a process you've been nailing for quite a few years now, so I'm sure. In terms of general change management? Yeah, look, general innovation? change, yeah. Oh, I mean, there's a couple of things that we, we do. Always appoint a champion, um, innovating a lot. We have a designated operations manager that rolls out operational change because there's a difference between obviously dialogue training and um, customer facing sales type um, BDMs and, and, and such and process change and operational change and a lot of the innovation at the moment is tech so you really need someone that's a high process kind of person training the team all of the time and, and potentially it's a change in your business model in that that's an ongoing training role in an operational sense, which you never used to have in PM. Yeah, okay. And how about with your team members? I mean, you've obviously got quite a large team there um, and everyone kind of embraces change with varying degrees of enthusiasm. So 
for the less enthusiastic folks, uh, can you offer any tips or advice on on how you navigate through that change? Yeah. Well, it's been a, it's been a long process for us. I mean, I, I found obviously creating a pain point with a team member. So someone that doesn't like change, if you create a pain point and a friction that then requires them to move toward change, then you get a better result rather than them being completely happy with the current process and you just pulling it out from under them and changing it just for the sake of change. Um, so there's a quite a lot of um, meetings and sort of team meetings involved in creating the pain points and, and showing them the vision for how we want the business to move into the future and the risk involved if they don't move toward change. I find that helps quite a lot with people that don't want to change. Yeah, because I think we often talk about the danger in those those fateful words of it's the way we've always done it around here um, and how that can lead to stagnation and, uh, you know, being overtaken in, a, in a quite a competitive environment. And from a property manager's perspective, though, if, if they don't move toward change as the industry change, their roles will become redundant. So educating them on the, the risk of redundancy and making sure they understand where their um, value will be in the future. Um, can I, um, for those that may not be as familiar with your business, can you tell us a bit about, I guess, the story of Guy Jones on our shore? Um, the steps that you've gone through to get to here and I guess your vision for where you're heading next because it sounds like pretty forward-thinking business it doesn't seem like a business that's just kind of fumbling through some different initiatives it actually seems really focused and quite deliberate about what it's doing which I think is really exciting yes that's a quite a big, big question but okay we'll get, we'll get started um okay so I've been with this business 10 years or 10 and a half years um when I that they began as McGraw Law and Offshore zero properties obviously as most businesses do um we're now as of this week at four and a half thousand just over four and a half thousand um if we have we have acquired some rent rolls strategically along the way but the majority of it has been um organic growth um the current business is centered in the lower north shore and services the entire lower north shore from one office but we do have um satellite hubs that are more predominantly sales businesses in each um, area. So we have four offices, but the central one is Neutral Bay and property management sit from Neutral Bay for the most part, um, except for the BDMs that sit in each, you know, each satellite office to, to work with the sales teams. Um, the, the property manager's role is quite different to a traditional property managers, more property management business. A property manager's managed up to 300 properties each um, and we call them relationship wow. managers and, and that's with an average rent of 900 a week so it's not a small rent either um, yeah, wow. the property managers role is a pure asset manager or asset relationship manager role they have um, a volume of outbound calls they need to do each day and the majority of inbound work is handled for them by um, our administration team which sits offshore um, and our concierge team, which sit onshore and they do out of office work. So ingoing inspections, outgoing inspections, routine inspections, um, and a tenant check-in and check-out. So we offer a tenant check-in, like a personal check-in, check-out. That's all handled by the concierge team. So the property manager um, really manages relationships, strategy, strategy, annual strategy calls, um, Residential Tenancies Act, that kind of escalated or high-value job rather than a, you know, rather than just admin labour. Um, so that's kind of the way the 
property managers sit. The, the BDMs, I have six BDMs that sit in the lower North Shore. Um, they manage certain salespeople and they also have a lot of lead generation activity that they have to perform each week to, for their KPIs. Um, they're expected to bring in sort of 10 to 15 properties each minimum per month. It's sort of in a nutshell. In addition to that, we, we offer a range of services that start at 2% and end at 25%. So um, the 2% starts at self-managed where the client accesses our technology only and doesn't have a designated property manager. Um, all the way through the traditional five, seven, we have a 9% package, which is our all-inclusive. A lot of agencies seem to be coming on board with that now, which covers letting, administration, tribunal, all sorts of ad hoc fees, all in the one fee, which is just budget, allows people to budget and pay per month. And then we have our three short-term letting offerings. So one is um, an Airbnb offering, one is a corporate letting offering, and one is the high-end executive leasing offering, which we have partnerships with different companies to supply those services. And can I ask then, if you think about the four and a half thousand properties that you serve, where do you reckon most of those sit? Is it sort of still around that kind of, you know, seven to nine percent or are you starting to see more move further no, up? The majority all down? sit in traditional. That it wasn't okay. the, the reason we created this wasn't to, I mean, it wasn't to expand it massively, although we'd be happy to. Um, I don't see the majority of the market sitting there for us, but um, it, it just allows us to service clients as a one-stop shop rather than them having to go to multiple places for their portfolio. That's interesting. So has it kind of worked a bit like um, a way to capture those outliers that would normally have left the business because they either want less or they want a whole lot more? Uh, so, you know, as a way of actually minimising preventable losses by having a broader scope. Yeah, 100%. So we started to get um, clients come to us from people like they were going, they wanted to leave us for people like different, $100 a month, that kind of thing. Um, and we can now offer them self-managed or some sort of combination of self-managed and add-on. So our self-managed package starts at 2%. They have a letting fee and then they add on services in a sort of like a queue-based system as they choose them. So like through, through the... Um, the, the management life cycle, we will serve them, you know, notice you need to do your inspection here or you need to send this notice to the tenant. Would you like to use our template? Would you like to be based, put into a queue system for us to do it for you? It's $9 or $19 or whatever it is. And they opt in yes or no. You know, that that it, it allows us to do that. And, and then sort of build our brand and build the, build the image in the marketplace that we can provide bespoke offerings to people so we've got clients that will now call us well, people that have never dealt with us that hear that we do something a little bit different and will call us and say here's what I'm looking for can you do it and it just gives you access to a, a lot bigger pool of potential clients. I just find this so fascinating because I know uh, you know I've heard the conversation a lot over you know quite a number of years of the dream of being able to come up with this but I think a lot of people fall at the first hurdle with going well, how how would I even go about implementing uh, such a strategy in my business. So I think we've got a whole bunch of questions we'd love to ask around this. Um, I think loosely I'm thinking in terms of some business stuff, which maybe we can circle back to, but I'm really curious about just the everyday operational way that you kind of segment and identify which customers are on which packages and then how people on the receiving end delivering the service at Di Jones, how they understand who they're talking to and what they do and the scope of what they can and can't do. Yep. 
it's what well, when I explain it, it's not as difficult as it seems. <laughs> uh, so that <laughs> make it sound really yeah, hard, yeah. And everyone will be like, "Oh, that's amazing." <laughs> when I when I thought about creating it, it did seem like it was a big task. But then once you sort of you, you obviously you bring in things slowly and you see how it works and trial and see, you know, there's a lot of training involved in having your team be able to handle every single type of client but let's just um so self-managed we'll start i'll start with self-managed because that's it's actually quite easy um it's two percent as long as your tech supports the ability to run some of the, your processes in an automated fashion there's no labor required so even though in an essence it might sit you might have 10 properties in a, in a portfolio sit with a property manager that are self-managed they don't speak to that property manager and they don't actively have to do anything because they're just managing relationships. So you might have, so self-managed repairs and maintenance gets done. Um, the arrears is automated and gets done every day. If, the, if you're on a banking system, it would get sent out straight after banking's done or if you're on a gateway, it just gets done. Um, and then, you, so the repairs and maintenance comes through from the tenant through their app, it goes straight to the landlord. They can use our trades, off our offshore team sort of, move the client or move the tenant through what's required to get the work done so there's no labor from our perspective um and then accounting obviously it's just automated in the software that you choose in, in almost all the software so that's that's all fine the only tricky part is um having trails set up with your crm system once a client comes in self-managed that serve the right information at the right time to try and get as many of the add-on services as possible. And really the aim through self-managed is to make sure that the client sees the, the complexity in managing a property properly so that within the first 12 months, we aim to bring them back up to a traditional method. I mean, it's not, it's not going to run us at a high profit at 2%, but it's just keeping as many clients in the ecosystem that might lack trust in a traditional property manager and then Prove, them, prove ourselves through the first 12 months so that we can bring it back up to normal rate, which is happening. Um, then you've got traditional packages, five, seven, nine. They're quite easy to delineate in a property manager because it's either all-inclusive or it's not, and the system knows to charge. If you've got the right, the right system in place, you, you charge fees or not, depending on the system. And then the, the short-term packages that we have, we have partners. So even though... And a managing agency agreement might be signed up with us. Um, we outsource all of the labour so that the only thing that, that our business needs to do is a monthly call with each of those clients that are set up with the property manager. And we don't have separate portfolios. They're just all in the one. Um, and they just do a monthly call and it's a strategy call. Here's the income you've received from your short-term letting. Are you happy with that? Is it in line with your expectations? And if it isn't, let's look to move you to a more traditional model what can we do to increase your bookability, which is one of the short, short-term short letting call, your ability to book at a higher premium or a higher nightly rate. Um, and if we can't get that up to your expectations, we, we shift them back and forth between our service offerings. Wow, that's amazing. Because <laughs> um, one of the questions I had to ask was around that whole context switching piece and if I'm a property manager, how do I know which level of service I'm doing, particularly when we start talking about the, the higher levels and that sort of concierge type feel. But yeah, if you're kind of effectively utilising the benefits of, of outsourcing that to a bespoke provider, then it solves a lot of that internal challenge I yeah. would expect. Yeah, and, the way, and what was important when we set up those models is to make sure that the revenue we would have expected from a normal long-term client was protected. The managing agency agreement sits with us, so the asset is still ours to sell, but all of the risk um, 
and all of the work is outsourced to another business. So even though these are 20, 20, 20 to 25%, we really only get about between five and 7%. But that's five and 7% of a higher nightly rate and we're actually doing nothing for it. So it's a low risk to us. And you're retaining the customer in that relationship mm -hmm. and therefore the right to continue to correspond with them and ask them if the existing package is the one that's right for them. Yep, or to buy more properties or to sell their properties. Yeah, I just love how that works as a as a, a really mm -hmm. thorough defense strategy for making sure that you're still keeping people within that uh, that Jones ecosystem. Sam, can I ask then? Um, let's say hypothetically, um, you're now a real estate consultant and you're running around the industry giving businesses advice on, I guess, how to optimize their business. Is this the sort of plan you'd suggest for everybody and anybody, or does it take a certain type of business for this type of approach to really kind of work in the way that you guys have managed to achieve it? Uh, in, no, see, I don't think so. I mean, it's easier if you're bigger because you can afford the roles specific to training and, and setting up this type of strategy. But I think a small business can do it. You can easily set up self-managed, especially if you're, you know, a one or two property manager business. It's easier for you, you know, all the clients. You're usually running smaller portfolios, so you, you can do it as long as I, I think maybe small businesses might not be able to um, their break even might be a lot higher for managing a client or, or some businesses that I've spoken to don't even know what that break even is so they don't know what what good business oh, is wow. and what bad business is that's a problem so you can't set these kind of models yeah. up unless you know exactly what your break even is or what your long-term strategy is whether that the strategy on a self-manage is to sell the property in five years and if you're going to hit the the revenue at the sale point so we I mean we we make sure that our losses for instance if our losses are higher than 11% that we have a set revenue that we need to generate from our losses to sale per year to recover the losses that, for that 11%. So, I mean, getting that granular on it means you can set up these models that might not just be about profit right now, might be about a long-term goal. So when you first set this uh, model up, Pam, I think one of the concerns I would potentially have, I guess, is uh, if people who were previously paying seven slid to five or to two or, you know, any of that sort of internal movement. And I think we've discussed <laughs> that most people stay in the middle anyway, but I guess the things that I would be concerned about is, you know, is the property generating two and a half thousand dollars a year in revenue now all of a sudden going to do 1800 or, or maybe even less, but what was your real world experience about people moving around within that business model? Yeah, I was worried about that. So I, when I started it, I kind of started it as a secret to be completely honest. It was a bit like, oh, I hope none of the existing clients find out, but I'm going to market with this new offering. So I did that. I did it on social. And then I sort of, and, and, and people started hearing about it, but nobody moved. And I, the fear sort of went away after about six months. And then I started marketing the whole range to our existing clients and still nobody dropped. All that I guess it opens up, which is actually a benefit, not a negative, is it opens up a conversation if a client's not happy or opens it up sooner because they look at this range and they say, hang on, I'm on a package that I don't think is worth what I'm getting for my money and they call the manager, not the property manager, and say, what can you do? And, and it kind of changes the perception of the business just being about the property manager they're dealing with. They, they call and say, look, I'd like to switch my package to an investor package, which is cheaper. It's 5% rather than 7 Because I'm not seeing value in the 7%, that kind of removes the property manager out of it a bit. And by and while I'm talking to you, I don't really like the property manager I'm dealing with, so can you change your property manager at the same time? I'm like, yep, no problem. It's a little bit of a different conversation wow. than how I'm leaving you and then you have to drop the fees anyway and they're really 
<laughs> which happens. Makes sense. So how, I guess how much work did it take behind the scenes for you to kind of price up which services you'd provide at which mm. tier? Because I'm guessing some things add a lot of value mm. to take a lot of time and vice versa. What was that process um, it like? It was quite a while ago. Look, um, it, it, yeah, look, it did. And you have to average it out. So it could be different for every market. Our, our, our average rent is pretty high here. So I can drop. So sort of five years ago, for instance, we never dropped under 7%. And we found, I know a lot of agencies would find that we found we were we were losing an entire segment of the market. And at the time, the directors, that was the position they wanted to take. We wanted to be a premium agency. And I think um, I've sort of convinced them to expand their horizons just because I thought it was better for risk. If you have lots of different segments of the market, if you've got purely investment stock, you know, it's, it's about setting in expectations. So I've actually found our churn has reduced by creating all these different um these different packages because you set a different expectation by package. It's more like a no, no frills all the way up to a, you know, premium offering. It's, again, it changes the conversation more from if you're not happy with the service you're getting, maybe we just need to change the offering that you're on. Um, so if someone's not happy with self-managed because they're not getting enough service or they're, they're a little bit anxious and they need a lot of advice from a property manager, it's a conversation to move them up and vice versa. If they're on a platinum package and, and they don't feel that there's enough value in it rather than shop around. They probably ask us first. Obviously I don't want to have many of those, but you do, you do get them now, but then now that, yeah, but now that <laughs> like people are offering three yeah. and 4%, you have to be able to um, compete if people aren't happy. So I'm someone that's fascinated with um, granular detail. Uh, and I think <laughs> as, people, <laughs> as people move around the packages, how are you dealing with it from a managing authority perspective? Like, are they signing some sort of like a one pager or you've got to do it? Yeah, agreement? just an addendum, addendum we get hmm. and send it out. They're, ours are electronic yeah. now. So you just basically change those bits and flick it out to them. It's much quicker. And I imagine they get back to you pretty quickly. There's not a lot of follow up there because they've kind of been involved <laughs> in that decision. Yeah, look, there's not that many that change their fee down, but you do get, you know, ones moving self-managed up or you get people moving to short-term, between short-term and long-term. And is the self-managed piece a little bit like what we were talking about earlier with um, people who are resistant to change and that there's enough little points of friction in there that you find once they've tried it, then all of a sudden the 5% or the 7% is looking like a pretty look, it's not. It's not easy. It's not easy to get them up. Um, the people that want self-managed are usually very tight with their money or they see absolutely no value in a property manager because uh, to be fair, our industry is, you know, there's quite a few people that don't add value. Either the business has them managing too many properties and they're stuck in process or they just, they've just started in property management and they're sitting in a small business and they're getting no training. So I don't know how they're going to add value to an investor that's been investing in real estate for 20 years when they had to have never owned a property and have just left school. It's a really difficult thing to do. So, um, so maybe this is about 30% of our market anyway that, that that's the case for. And I, it, it, so it's not an easy, it's, it's, it's not easy to get them to see value. It, it is about the BDM selling it at the start about why we've, we've got a self-managed package and, and then giving them the assurance that if it doesn't work and they get into any trouble later on and they want to just scale their package up, they can literally do it with no notice, um, which we do get usually if there's a tribunal or they've stuffed something up or, you know, they didn't, 
you know, they didn't choose us to do an ingoing and then the ingoing wasn't done very well. Once they have one mistake and we fix it for them without complaining, they're up. They're usually back up to traditional and they're totally fine. So Pam, have you had to sort of think differently about the people that you recruit or how you onboard and train and develop or any of those sorts of things given, you know, everything you've just said in terms of um, so many in the industry, unfortunately, don't necessarily meet the expectation mm. that the landlord has. Uh, what are you doing differently we, there? We train every week. We have a training academy, <laughs> even for property management. Um, so, we, I mean, we've just set, for instance, our entire next 12 months for training for, for we call it investment management, for our investment management team. And we have set training, leasing, new business, property management, and they go through and in, they go through an entire, so each quarter has a different focus. So the first quarter of next year, the focus goes back to setting the annual strategy for a client, how to maximise their return, how to improve profitability on the, their asset, how to find out what they need long-term from real estate if they want to build a portfolio, how to help them, how to help them um, with when they should be buying their next property as in what's their equity level sitting at making sure they have appraisals on their property and then helping them buy the next property. So it's more, that's the first quarter and then how to give that kind of advice without being a financial advisor. Um, and, and then setting up the client. Cause if you can do that with a client as, as a property manager, they'll never leave you. I mean, not many people have that conversation. No, well, I've got to say, I mean, it's, it's, um, you hear a lot of people talk about it, recognizing that's, you know, the best type of chat to have, but it's rare that you see people mm. really executing that, particularly on such scale as what you guys have got there. Can't say it's perfect. No one is right. <laughs> Some property managers really take to it and they, they, they see property management as a career and they really want to learn everything. They're the ones I'm trying to recruit now. It's, you know, there's, there's obviously a place for, uh, what I call them a property management um I guess they're a process property manager and they like the admin side. There's still a place for them, but um, it de depends on the business you're running. I really, I think the property management role is high value in the future. It's an asset manager and that the pays connected to an asset manager are going to be far higher than a property manager. And if they want to upskill themselves, that's where the industry is moving. If we, if we sort of turn our minds forward a little, one of the things that um, Brock spoke to me about when we were talking about your business and you, is that he was saying each and every time the industry adopts some brand new thinking or plan, your business seems to mm. have just already done it. You're kind of pushing the envelope there and taking that step and then others seem to follow suit. And we talk about things like, um, you know, a, a different service offering, different pricing strategies, um, offshoring potentially. Where do you see the industry going next? What are the big changes that you're most excited about? Gateways. By? <laughs> 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 gateways i really think that's the future there's so much risk in um especially at our size you'd know getting bulk water water counts on strata rates um and chance of error when you're processing that many rates um and just the the, the possibilities if i mean the this the technologist no matter what tech it is the tech's still quite new but the the idea of a gateway or a wallet or you know something where a client controls their experience because that's something that's a big pain point for clients. You know, how dare you pay this before this, or I choose not to pay that, or I don't want to pay that special levy. And they want to see visibility. And to be honest, when you're managing, even when you're managing 150 properties for a property manager, that's not a priority to them. And they might miss that, or they might miss that call in time. 
They might not have read the AGM minutes. Like I think transparency for a client is going to be massive um, and the gateway allows it. And then what flows on from that is more um, is the client controlling their experience in terms of like the property manager having full, the full transparency with the client on all communication with the tenant. Like it'll all be able to be accessed in the same place. The only issue for a property manager in that is if they're not on their game and they don't stay, stay on top of the conversations and they don't service the tenant properly and the tenant's dissatisfied and the client can see that it's because of their lack of service or just things haven't been done at the right time frame that's where you're going to have a problem. But that, I think that's the future. I think there's a that's why property managers have to move to more of an investment manager mindset so that their value is not just reliant on providing action quickly. Such great, such great advice. I was actually having a conversation last week with someone I know in the industry and we were talking about that whole piece around tech and people being replaced by machines and so mm. forth. And it was like, well, if people are only doing what tech can do, then yeah, they're vulnerable to being replaced by machines. So it's about understanding what you do that a machine cannot and concentrating on that really high value space. And that sounds like something that you're seeing with a great deal of clarity. So I want you to imagine that present day Pam can go back in time to Pam on day one of her property management career. With the benefit of everything you've learned since, what advice would you give her? Um, okay, that's actually really tricky. Day one in property management was over 20 years ago so um well well yeah that time machine is long range it's fine or i guess I, what advice would you give to a day one property manager today yeah i, I could do that one easier because <laughs> i was a bit different <laughs> um day one property manager i like i always tell my property managers now day one um get really good at the role you're in right now find out where you provide value to a business and then always sort of push that envelope because if you want a career in property management and you want to keep earning more money, which is what most property managers want, you have to provide more value to the business. So um, understand if profit margins are being, you know, if they're becoming tighter and, and try and work with the business when they're going to change, you know, um, always be training, um, be ready to try new things. Um, really that just not be scared of change because even though change is coming, like if, if you move with it or if you don't, you're going to get, you have to change anyway. So if you move with it, it's, it's a more positive experience and you're used to changing. And I mean, what Dean Mackey, our CEO says is, you know, should be comfortable with chaos. Mm. Oh, I like that one. That's that to work in our business. Right. That's in, in the management team. Anyway, you have to be comfortable with chaos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think that's uh, that's all for today. It's been a really fascinating chat, and um, and and we do thank you for your time. I think there's been so much gold and so many insights there that uh, that have been really really interesting, and I think really beneficial for uh, for our listeners. So, uh, thank you from Scott and I. Thank you. Great to chat. A big thank you to Pam for taking the time to speak with us here at Agency of Change. You can find out more about Pam by visiting diejones.com.au. And by visiting us at colmeo.com, where you can view today's show notes in the journal section. It's been great having you with us. We'll see you next time.